today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Former U.S. President Donald Trump uh, returned to the political scene this past weekend with a keynote speech in Florida. Uh, Lionel Moyes has uh, all the details. In his first public appearance since leaving office. Hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Former President Trump speaking at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Orlando, bashing the Biden administration. Joe Biden has had the most disastrous first month of any president in modern history. That's true. And repeatedly spreading the falsehood that he won the election and that it was rigged. Also telling supporters he isn't finished yet. We began it together four years ago, and it is far from being over. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. Well, let's tie that in with the misinformation on uh, social media or behind a microphone, I guess, that we were talking about earlier in the program. Uh, that's Trump being Trump, uh, and it's not funny anymore. It's uh, We've seen the consequences of that. I guess the epitome of that was January the 6th. Uh, to talk about this and lots of more stuff going on uh, in uh, the political sense uh, down in the States, uh, please to welcome back to the program Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University. Elliot, great to have you back with us. Hope you're doing well these days. Always a pleasure to join you, and so far so good here in snowy ottawa god good it's uh, just cold hamilton here today so and with the snow seems to be going away but uh, winter's not over yet uh and donald trump is not over yet either uh, anybody who thought that he was just going to fade out of the political scene when he left the white house uh was sadly mistaken i don't know if any of us ever believed that but uh it was uh it was vintage trump on sunday i mean all the stuff that you expected him to say he, he knows how to play to the crowd doesn't he yes and he knows the crowd uh, that that's one of the most striking features here is the nature of that crowd. That particular annual conference is supposed to be a gathering of conservatives who want America to have their viewpoint, and particularly the Republican Party. So it's historically been a place where people try out ideas. Here's what we think the party's about. And they try out potential leaders. They showcase up-and-comers or existing people who, you know, are their stars and future stars. This year, apparently, it wasn't going to be that, which is, of course, no surprise in the era of Trump. It was very clearly Trump saying uh, one or two things. One is, this is my party. He said, I, I'm not going to form a new party. This was a big announcement, actually, at that, <laughs> at that uh, meeting, because he had talked about creating a patriot party or a mega party. Mm-hmm. And he announced there, no way, uh, I, I, you are my party. But what he was really saying is, uh, you are my party. So he's saying that uh, there's no need for a new party. You and I, I think, talked about it. He doesn't need a new party because the Republican Party belongs to him. And any traditional Republican mainstream uh, party uh, members, you know, Republicans of the older mold, will either have to find a new place to live or they'll have to go along. It was a... Uh... <laughs> It was really a rally. I mean, you know, I, I know I, I agree with you. I mean, the historical reference to, to this conference was to talk about conservatism and ideas and, and how conservatism could make America better, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it was just the, the whole thing seemed to be the highlights I saw anyway. It was just a rallying point for Trump. I mean, you know, the usual suspects there, the disciples, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Ron Johnson, all speaking uh, before the crowd there and, and basically uh, reiterating and reinforcing all the stuff they've been saying about, you know, the election being a fraud, et cetera, to, it's just to get everybody pumped up. Yes, the uh, couple of things you said there are very important. He continues to say the, that he was elected president and that Biden is an illegitimate president. And the Republican Party is clear, clearly the elected leadership of the party 
the uh, organizational side as well has bought into that. So the party itself is now standing for rigged election. It was a stolen election. Uh, the big lie that uh, has been disproved in every possible way is now with official party dogma. The second thing is that there's a lot of people there who say, we are certainly Trump's successors as well as followers. And if by chance all of his legal and financial problems or something else comes along so that he doesn't actually choose to run, what, what was happening here, I think, in front of us was he's kept all of his options open to run or not to run. He's got the party and he can do what he wants. Now, he may not choose to run or not, may not be able. Here are all these other others saying, when the flag is available to be picked up, we are the ones to pick it up. So you saw a fierce battle for competition, you know, competition here over who's going to be the future leadership of the party. But they're trying to out-Trump each other, aren't they? The, yes. The, the, the Hollies and the Cruises and, uh, well, even the Texas Governor Greg Abbott's thrown into the mix now, I hear. Yes, and the governor of, of uh, South Dakota, North South Dakota, uh, certainly the governor of Florida is laying great. He was mm-hmm. a rising star at this. But Nikki Haley wasn't there. Mitch McConnell wasn't there. Mitt Romney wasn't there. So there are people who might possibly be alternatives to the type of leadership for the party of the future. Uh, they're not there. They're the only leaders on, on display. And we should probably talk a bit about Joe Biden and all of this. Uh, we will. Uh, the, the, what was on display, apparently, is a party that is out of sync with the general public, including a lot of Republicans, the Republican Party itself will clearly back Trump if they, you know, the voters of the party would back Trump, although 64% of the people polled at this conference privately said he shouldn't run again. But if he chooses, you know, that he would be the nominee. But if you take a look at what Joe Biden is proposing on his rescue package, and we can edge into that if you wish, that is wildly popular. The rank and file apparently across the country uh, are quite willing to back Joe Biden in his rescue efforts. Uh, 60% of Republicans apparently may support that. So we have apparently a growing gulf between regular mainstream Republicans, now a distinct minority, and the MAGA or Trump Republicans. But we may also be seeing a great split between the elected Republicans and, and Trump followers at the elected level and the general population. Well, and those disenchanted Republicans that uh, that maybe bought into Trump uh, back in 2016, and of course we have learned lived to regret it. Uh, I guess we're looking for a return to to that slightly, you know, middle of the road conservatism. Uh, but this conference over the weekend with the, the Hollies and and obviously with with Trump and everyone else, uh, pretty much says that look, it, it, if you're still a Republican, this is not your party anymore. So there's it's going to be a, a, an interesting move here or something they're either going to stay home or they're going to support biden and let's let's slide into that right now because i I chose that clip to play for you elliot because it was the one where trump said that joe biden's had the worst uh, first month of any president in the history of the united states uh the numbers tell a different story his popularity is the highest of of any president ever in our lifetime anyway that i've seen uh this early on uh he's hit the ground running on so many different initiatives i mean the stuff that he said he was going to do but most importantly he said job one was going to be to tackle this this pandemic and he's done it yes the uh the biden message in his campaign was vote for me and i will i will return to a normal america and i will be decent about it i will you will have a 
a caring government, a decent government. But most importantly, from Biden's view, I'm here to govern. And he did hit the ground running. He had planned on this. They, they had plans in depth. They issued executive orders immediately, et cetera. And they have now this rescue package, and they're calling it that. They're calling that bill $1.9 trillion is viewed as a rescue package, saying, America, we're here to rescue you. We're going to send you checks. We are going to have uh, the, the pandemic front and center. We are going to work on the most pressing things facing you right now, your well-being. Uh, and then we'll move on to infrastructure, which you're also going to like, et cetera. So uh, he does have an impressive start, but he may have a very short runway because this goes back to the first part of the conversation. At the, the way it looks today, uh, the House of Representatives is very, very possibly going to fall to the Republicans and possibly the Senate as well in 2022. Mm-hmm. So that Mitch McConnell may return and Nancy Pelosi may go and Kevin McCarthy may, may come in. And they could really stymie the Biden agenda. So this is a very short runway. What might change that calculus is what we were just talking about. If the Republican Party splits internally between a 70% Trump party and a 30% you know, regular Republican Party, and if the party continues to lose support, so it's a smaller party, Donald Trump looming large in a, in a smaller puddle, then the Democrats possibly could hold on to the House and the Senate, and that would make all the difference. What about the efficacy of the the recovery program, though? And there's there's two elements to this. One is the package, and and obviously you know we want to see that go through the Senate, and I think Americans do too. It's been far too long to get that relief there. But the other is the vaccination program. I mean, you know, I I think everybody took Biden at his word that this this was a. a a terrible mess when they took over. They had no idea what was going on there. Uh, he brought Ron Klein in, who worked in the Obama administration as the chief of staff. He's brought in other folks from that administration that were involved in, in pandemic uh, responses and actually wrote those reports. Uh, and it seems to have paid off, Elliot. I mean, you know, the announcement yesterday that, uh, you know, notwithstanding what he said earlier, that, you know, by the fall, everybody was going to be vaccinated. And now it's the end of May. Uh, they've accelerated that. I mean, he he's he's... he's Hitting home runs every time he talks about the pandemic these days, and and, and that was the issue, the number one issue, I think, for most Americans. And and yes. he, he hasn't wrestled it to the ground, but he certainly knocked it back. Yes, uh, he said a few things, and one I would like to emphasize as well, that we should not not be numb to the total numbers. When America hit that half a million, that five hundred thousand people dead, dead is because of this crisis, because of a pandemic. He said, do not get numb by these numbers, and I think we need to remember that as well. They've got almost 30 million infections now, well over a half a million deaths, and no matter when this comes, you know, when the vaccines become available, and we can return to that, there's still going to be an awful lot of people dying, and I'm sorry to say this, who, who don't have to die or shouldn't have had this been brought under control earlier. But in terms of your comment to... He's wrestling it to the ground, so to speak. What he said was, by the end of May, not by July and not by September, but earlier, he keeps moving it up, enough vaccine will be available. That does not guarantee at all the distribution of it mm-hmm. uh, so, and, and, and the implementation of a vaccination program that's going to be um, truly effective that quickly. It's, it's, it's the old 
saying goes, it's with one we hear on day in and day out right now. It's getting the getting the needle into people's arms, and right. and that that's the challenge. I mean, that we everybody has that problem, I guess, uh, in North America. I mean, the Canadian government, the the U.S. government has that as well. But this, uh, the attitude, I guess, I wanted you to comment about that. I mean, you know, we had a the former president who didn't even acknowledge the severity of the pandemic, uh, refused to believe the numbers, thought that the uh, the Center for Disease Control was actually inflating the numbers just to make him look bad. Uh, they they he actually remember accused them of holding back on the possible vaccine at that time uh, to make him look bad. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. And you, you, you contrast that with Biden, who, you know, the day before his inauguration had a vigil, of course, in Washington. Yeah, uh, another moving. one just the other day to acknowledge the, the severity and the loss of life. Uh, there's an empathy there. And uh, I got to think that counts for something with the American people. Apparently it does. Those popular, the, the popularity numbers that you cited in your opening should reflect that. Um, you know, it's always hard to be, is it half full or half empty in this case? The, um, America is still plague central in the world, though. It's mm-hmm. still the number one country anywhere in the world, and it's not the largest country, but it is the wealthiest country, the most advanced country in all kinds of ways, and it still has more numbers than anybody. Even though they're coming down, they're coming down from a very high peak, so... You know, it's great they're coming down, but 1,300 people a day are still dying, and the infection rate is still going on. So there's good news, and we hope that all this works out for everybody. But we still have a Republican Party, if you saw Ted Cruz at that CPAC conference, uh, mocking people who wear masks. You've got the governor of Texas and Mississippi who's saying, let's open up 100% now. No more restrictions, no more masks, no more anything. Everything's fine. And then you have people within those states saying, um, hello, now we're not going to go along with it. Major, I think one of the interesting phenomena that we should talk about, or somebody should, the role of the private sector, the corporate sector, has really come into play here in a way, because across Texas, all the major chains and the major employers are saying, no, we're, our people are still going to abide by the CDC. And it's uh, the private sector that took, that took Trump off his Twitter account, now, watch that. Keep an eye on that. If Trump remains popular, how long will they, in effect, boycott, which is what they're doing, not giving money? The private sector is no longer giving money to all of those people in the House who said, yes, this was, uh, we, we, we want to overturn the election. So I think the emergence of the private sector and their role, beyond giving a lot of money, uh, generally to, say, the energy sector to the governor of Texas, who then says, you know, uh, we aren't going to. We're not changing anything. That's all part of the uh, dynamic in America. Yeah, that, and that's interesting. I mean, because there's a pretty impressive list. I mean, impressive simply because of the the wealth that's available there. Uh, that has, as you say, have publicly said we're not supporting you anymore. Even the, I guess the remaining Koch brother has, has said, you know, and they were instrumental, obviously, in the Republican Party for many, many years uh, in financing a number of different initiatives uh, where they backed off on that. So. Uh, are they further, by embracing Trump, are they further alienating themselves uh, from, from that financial source, which is so necessary in elections? Uh, uh, you know, it's it's worth noting here again, uh, Donald Trump, for whatever his wealth might be, we still don't know that, that's to be determined, uh, didn't dip into his pocket much at all, if at all, no. uh, for his, his politics. He always relied on other people's money. Yes, I mean, that's, he said, when he started his campaign, I won't accept any private donations, I don't need it. 
but it came out later that he was indeed accepting donations and he wasn't spending much of his own money, including a tiny little footnote in history that $50 million was funneled by Russian oligarchs through the NRA and into the campaign at a critical moment when it was faltering. But it, there's a lot. The role of money in, in politics in America is a big subject all by itself. Mm-hmm. The role of the Supreme Court going forward is going to be very critical in all this. The Supreme Court, after all, before the Trump era, uh, said, you know, black money is just fine. Uh, suppression of votes, uh, that's a state level. That's not a matter of the Supreme Court. Now we have, looking forward, the role of the Supreme Court should come back into focus because uh, Republicans' states uh, at the state level all across America are saying because of the big lie, because, you know, there's stolen votes and you can't have all this absentee ballots, they're putting forward more and more ways to restrict voting. That's heading up to the Supreme Court. There's a case there now. Keep an eye on it. Uh, those Republican appointees, Trump appointees, who stayed silent at a key moment because they didn't have to say anything about the, you know, the election, the electoral results, they can now weigh in very heavily on how America goes forward in terms of the role of money and politics. Yeah, uh, there's uh, still a lot of twists and turns to be had. Uh, and as you say, it's it's not that far down the road. Elliot, uh, great to get your time and your perspective on this. Thanks so much. Let's uh, stay in touch as these things evolve over the next few days. Indeed. It's always a fascinating place, isn't it? It is. It is. Elliot Tepper, of course, Emeritus Professor at Carleton University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.